Christian love draws no distinction between one enemy or another. Except that the more bitter our enemy's hatred, the greater their need for love. Our enemies should expect nothing else from a follower of Jesus than unqualified love. I'm going to give you a few seconds to think through who you think said that quote, or at least the kind of person, the kind of Christian that person was who said this. Got an idea? So if you're like me, the first time I saw this quote, I was pretty cynical about it. I thought, okay, this has to be from some Christian hiding in an ivory tower somewhere who has not experienced the intensity of suffering like I have. Maybe you didn't take it quite that far. Maybe you're just thinking, okay, maybe they've experienced suffering, but nothing like what I've faced in my life. Not to sound like a Matrix meme, but what if I told you that the Christian who said this knew what the inside walls of the highest security prison in Nazi Germany looked like? And the Christian who said this lived in, breathed the same air as people in concentration camps. This Christian faced execution for his stand. In fact, as he walked to the gallows, a witness commented, I've never seen a person die so submissive to the will of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor during the Nazi regime a Lutheran pastor. And if there's anybody who could say that suffering and serving to the point of death, the point of pain, if there's anyone who could say that's not worth it, it would be him. But you'll never find him saying anything like that. Instead, he looked at his life of cross-bearing servanthood and he said, the cross is not a tragedy. It is the suffering that's a fruit of exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. And it's just so counter-self. It's so counter-cultural. It's so counter-everything. This idea, this truth that in our walk with God, it's not just that there could be suffering, but there will be. How does this connect? How can our loving God actually intend for suffering to happen in your and my life as we serve him and others? Can it really be our prayer this morning to say, Father, please crush me? What was sprinting through your mind when the prophet Isaiah was preaching to us in Isaiah 53, especially when he said it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer? How can it be loving for a father to send his only son into the crosshairs of the most abusive and painful existence that any human being has ever felt? How does this work that he would willingly crush his son for people who are nothing but enemies and want nothing to do with him? Is it any wonder why the disciples so often, every time Jesus brings up that he's going to suffer and he's going to die, that they instantly try to change the topic, right? And you see that here. Jesus tells them exactly what he's going to do and they go into talking about a distraction to keep their mind away from that. And who can blame them, right? 
mean, who in their right mind actually seeks suffering? Who embraces suffering? Who, thinking clearly, would run straight into suffering on purpose instead of avoiding it? How can we possibly say, Father, please crush me? Have you ever noticed how you and I as human beings, we don't just avoid suffering, we go to the point of even avoiding thinking about suffering, right? I mean, when we're presented with an opportunity to serve someone with love, especially if that person has never shown us even the tiniest drops of love, it is the most distant thought on our minds to love them. When we're presented with opportunity after opportunity to give the grace of our Father, the love of His Son, the joy of His Spirit to somebody, especially somebody who's hurt us, doesn't it almost feel right to not give them that gift, to not serve them in that way? I know that sounds really harsh to say, but let's expose the darkness for what it is. We serve ourselves with this idea of justice that they're getting what they deserve. They don't deserve me to love them. And just think of all the ways that we choose to be served instead of to serve. See, the disciples, they distracted themselves with this idea that they could have power and ambition and control over their lives and people serving them. What's that distraction for you? You see, God's paradigm for leadership, for life, for worth It's the exact opposite of how the world looks at it. You look through the pages of Scripture, more often than not, you're not going to find God in these incredible displays of power. You're going to find God looking like he's weak, powerless. See, God has in mind for you and I to follow this suffering servant of Isaiah 53, Jesus who suffered to the point of putting anybody and everybody in front of himself, the point that he calls himself a slave of all. How can this be? How is it possible for you and me to serve someone so unconditionally like that? How can we do that? How is it possible that God could will for you and me, his children, to endure suffering, that he has in his plan for us, that we face pain. How does this make sense with the God who is love itself? How does it make sense that he wants us to run into the burning buildings of people's lives? To walk and live in cities of suffering where trauma and pain is all around us. How does this work? Maybe you're starting to see the script of temptation that Satan is ready to dial in at any moment. See, he wants us to cocoon away from the trial and the suffering and the abuse of this world. He wants us to avoid the struggles we have within and to stay away from the struggles that are happening in people's lives. He'd rather us be distracted with Netflix binging and conversation avoiding rather than taking up our crosses, denying self, and following the servant. How can it possibly be true that it is a loving thing for our Father to crush you and me? 
And it really comes down to that one question that people have been asking for thousands of years. Why, God, do you allow suffering? What is the purpose for suffering? Well, the suffering servant would love to teach you that this morning. It is true that it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him pain, but that suffering, that wasn't the end goal. It was merely the means, the vehicle to the most glorious end that this world has ever known. It was through that crushing that our Savior gave a guilt offering. And once that offering was made, he saw the light of life and was satisfied. Why? Because he justified you. He declared you not guilty and he carried all of your sins. You see, our Father and our brother Jesus had a conversation. And they knew exactly what it would take to save their most loved creation, you. Love not because we did anything to deserve that. In fact, by nature, we're complete enemies of God. But love because he chose to love you. To love you and me, you could be classified like Paul, the worst of sinners, the most vile of criminals, that's us. But he chose to love you anyway. He knew that by submitting to his father's will that he'd have to experience trauma and pain and abuse and yes, death, but it was worth it for you. He knew that it would take experiencing hell itself, but it didn't matter. All he was thinking about was you. Have you ever thought about when you read the gospels that you're written on every single one of those pages, even if you can't see it? When Jesus was drinking that cup and he was being baptized with that baptism of suffering and pain and loss, the thought of you, that's what kept him going. He knew that he'd have to give up so much. He knew that he could have stayed in heaven where happiness was all around him. He could have avoided looking at your suffering, but he didn't even just look at it. He chose to enter into it and to carry it, to identify himself with you and me. He chose to enter this dark world, a world that he knew he'd be rejected and despised and hated, but he entered into it to carry your sorrows, to carry you close to him, and to give you a place in his presence where suffering will never, ever be invited. It's By looking at Jesus through his suffering, that's where you see his heart. You see a God who willingly stepped into the garbage heap that this life often is. And he wasn't stopped by it. No, in fact, you see Jesus' heart every time you see him suffering to the point that he knew the sorrows that would be on his back, but he kept going anyway. You see this suffering in a servant Lord who knew that this was so worth it because he saw the end. Look what it says there. The suffering Savior, the servant of servants, he saw the light of life again. You see, God our Father, through that incredible resurrection on the first Easter Sunday, he exalted him. He gave him a portion among the great. And here's the thing. 
He's a portion among the great, but the great isn't what we would anticipate, right? No, the greatness is seen as how he answers why suffering is in your life. Suffering is in your life for this one reason, to strengthen your grip on Jesus. Suffering is in your life for this purpose, to look away from all the fading effects of this world and to look squarely and only on the God that if you lose everything, if you have Jesus, you still have it all. You still have rest for your soul. So we can make it our prayer this morning just like Jesus made it his prayer. Father, crush me. Crush anything and everything that hinders me from seeing you. Crush my ego. Crush anything that tempts me to go away from the hope and the purpose you have for me. Crush me so you can build me up to be like you. Crush me so I can live that life of servanthood and of cross-bearing if for but one reason, that I can see your heart and your love through it. See, even on that first Easter Sunday when Jesus rose again, have you ever thought about the fact that he kept those nail marks in his hands, in his feet, that gash in his side? This same victorious servant, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we are healed. He kept those nail marks in his hands. He kept that gash in his side. He did that. Because to him, those marks of suffering were the greatest honor he could have possibly carried on his body to show you, this is why I suffered. It wasn't just to suffer, it was for you. And this is what's amazing to me is that this exalted Lord, this victorious king who is still a servant, he still is serving you today. He's still giving you those spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Because Jesus chose to suffer for you. Because he chose to walk step for step with you. To understand and to carry your pain and sorrow. He chose to identify with you and count himself as a transgressor like you and me. He chose to make intercession. He chose to carry you through all the things you will ever deal with for one purpose alone. And that's so you could experience what it feels like to be strong. And his strength is so different than how the world defines it. His strength is found in weakness. It's that understanding that only by the grace of God can we go through this life. When we have that perspective, we could never be stronger. It's with that gospel-motivated thought that we can join in Paul's life song to become all things to all people so that by all possible means, you might save some. You see, when we think about our baptism, we remember that God continues to crush that old Adam, that old Eve within us each and every day to make us more like him, that we, by faith, can be built up and restored in his image again until that glorious day when we will be completely like him again. But until that day, by faith, we choose to seek and embrace suffering whether it's the suffering within of addiction, of pain, of shame, of guilt, we don't run away from it anymore. No, we run to Jesus and his rest enters our soul and we find strength where only strength can be found. It's 
By faith, we seek solidarity and we climb into the pits with people. The pits of depression and anxiety and stress and loss. We don't run away from anymore, no. We climb those rungs down and we sit next to them with one goal. They can see that their Savior has already climbed down in the pit with them. They can see the heart of the gospel, the suffering servant who chooses to walk step for step in this life with them. We choose to sit beside the dying and to serve those who maybe will never love us, at least we'll never experience it, but we do it anyway because we know it's at stake. We choose to sit with the brokenhearted and to cry with those who have had everything taken away because we know what our suffering can lead to. We choose to suffer with them. We can join with Paul in the hope that we can win the weak because they'll forget about seeing us and all they'll see through our witness is Jesus. Think about it this way. If God has in mind for you to have suffering in your life for the one goal of you being with him forever, could there be anything more worth it? That God is willing to do whatever it takes to bring you into his arms forever and maybe, just maybe, he's going to give you that incredible opportunity and calling that through your suffering, another person might stand at your side one day. A person who never thought God could love them, who thought God could and wouldn't love them for everything they had done, but that person, through your witness of suffering and bearing your cross, they saw Jesus through that and they get to stand with him forever. Is there anything more worth it than that? See, that's the joy that Dietrich Bonhoeffer is experiencing right now. The Nazi soldiers were so hardened to tragedy when they saw his witness of servanthood and cross-bearing, clinging to the grace of God, it changed everything. Those people in concentration camps were so far beyond a state of hopelessness, but when they saw a Christian with a hope that not even the darkest forces of this world could snuff out, everything changed. My dear family, my brothers and sisters, I know it sounds illogical and I know it sounds crazy, but rejoice when the Father crushes you. Rejoice when he takes away things that will take you away from him. Rejoice that you get to take up your own crosses, denying yourself like Jesus did, submitting to your heavenly Father, even if you never find out the purpose for why you're going through what you're going through. That doesn't matter to you anymore. All that matters is that you know there is a purpose. That there is a God who is all, he's orchestrating this incredible plan to bring, bring you and many more like us to be home where we're meant to be. Rejoice that you get to be a slave of Christ. And I know that's a loaded term, but it's the truth. That you get to submit everything and every part of who you are to identify with your Savior who will always walk with you. Even when you feel crushed, he will build you back up and make you to be like him in every way. So let's make it our prayer this morning. Father, please crush me. Crush anything that takes away my eyes from you. Crush anything that takes me away from the calling you so graciously given to me. Crush me when I think the cost of discipleship is too great because you've given me everything. You've given me your grace. Give me the freedom to serve. Give me the heart to listen. 
And Lord, keep me ever focused on the fact that one day you're going to have your arms wrapped around me in a place and embrace where suffering and pain will never be invited. Amen. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.